Hypnotherapeuts Hermes Podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to a new episode of the Thought Hermes podcast. My name is Rudolf. I am the creator and host of this show, and I'm greeting you from the outskirts of Austria's lovely capital, Vienna. This is our season four on the Thought Hermes podcast, and within that season, I'm presenting to you today. Episode 16. Wow, 16 already. And it's only mid-April. We've been quite busy this year, haven't we? Good. Um, today is, as I said, mid-April. It is Sunday, April 19, 2020. And today I will present to you a new Ex Libris episode. Well, for those of you who are still a bit new to the show, and there are more and more who come here for the first time, thank you for that. Your number is increasing every week. Um, so for those of you who are new, who have not heard about what Ex Libris is, a brief explanation. Every once in a while, every sixth or seventh show or so, I present to you four books. Presenting means not probably only reviewing them, but especially presenting them. There are so many good books around. I only want to present those books who I really think are important and good to know about. Right, so today, again, four new books will be on the show. Which ones these are going to be, you will find out in a minute um, when we have played a little bit of music before. A few words about this podcast. The Thoth Hermes podcast has now existed for almost exactly three years. Actually, it was mid-April 2017 that we launched our, I launched our first show here. Very exactly, it was on the 20th of April 2017. So tomorrow, the day after this show has been launched, it will be the third birthday of the Thoth Hermes podcast. Well, we are around 60 episodes now, six zero. That is quite amazing. And um, well, maybe the anniversary might be a good idea to become a patron of the podcast. What do you think? Well, over the last weeks, um, we have increased from eight patrons to 21. That is really great. But it's still only 21 out of 2,600 listeners each week. So maybe our anniversary, our birthday here of the podcast will give you the inspiration to become a patron. If so, go on the Patreon website and look for the Thoth Hermes podcast. And from there, you'll find your way, I'm sure. Another possibility is to go directly on the website, on the Thoth Hermes podcast website, which is thothhermes.com. That is T H O 
T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. From there, you find a direct link to the Patreon website and only a don also a donate button if you prefer to do a one-off donation. Your help is greatly appreciated. On that website, once you're there, or maybe just go there for that, you would like also to find all the show notes, especially on those Exlibris editions. They are even more important because you find links to those books we are talking about. You find links to the authors, you'll find links to the pages where you can buy a book if you're interested in that. And so you should really not miss out on that. Also, I always like feedback. I really like feedback to get feedback from you is part of the reasons why I do this podcast. And so if you go on the website, you can leave me a voicemail or you can use the contact page to get in direct touch with me. Other ways are, of course, also to send me an email on info at thawthermis.com or to go on Facebook or Twitter, leave messages there. Feedback is one thing I like, ideas, also criticism, I always like to hear from you about that. Um, but once again, I would also like you to send me, if you are a musician, if you are a composer, to send me ideas about your music. I always play music on these shows, three pieces in normal episodes, one piece only in the Ex Libris episodes. So I always need good, interesting music, which has, of course, some relation to the occult, to the esoteric world and to you, dear listeners. So if you're a composer, if you're a musician and you want your music to be played on this show, do get in touch with me. I always like to hear that. And over the last few weeks, several of you have already done so and have been played here. So it's worth it, I think. Well, before we go right away into the four books that I'm going to present to you. Um, I want to say two things. Firstly, this episode, like all the episodes on the Thought Hermit podcast, have chapter marks. So if you want to go directly to one of the chapters where we talk about the book or directly jump to the music piece, for example, you can do that if your podcast player supports chapters. Most of them do nowadays, so have a look at that. It might interest you. Second thing, well, I'll announce to you the piece of music we're going to hear today, here and now. We have already performed music by Frater F a couple of times on the South Hermit podcast. And today we'll do that again because he has written so many, so interesting and I believe very good music, which also is a perfect fit for our show. Frater F is a musician from Sweden. Uh, I don't know much more about him, to be honest, because he hides behind that. He hides behind that uh, pseudonym, that Elias. He has written to me and also a couple of times um, and was quite happy that we play his music. So Frater F, if you hear this, do again get in touch with me. Let me know a bit more about you if you want. So maybe we can present you in person one day on this show. So the piece we hear from Frater F today is called S-A-C. And well, I can only say, enjoy.
S.A.C. by Swedish occult musician Frater F. I hope you enjoyed. I think his music is really very special and it should be known by any serious occultist. Okay, friends and listeners, uh, let's go now and present the four books that we have selected for you today. And if I say we, I really mean it in that case, because for those who are regulars of the Ex Libre shows, um, you already know that I have always friends who are here with me and who present those books. But let's go in order. And today I'll present the books, the chapters in backward order to make it a bit new and fresh okay chapter four the last of the four books and you know always in chapter four there is a 20-minute interview with either the author or some person who has a lot to do with that book and the book we present today is called early poems by alistair crowley yes well most of you do of course know that alistair crowley has been really prolific poet and a very good poet so also and um, well i'm afraid it's not the author i'm going to speak to that would be a sensation wouldn't it no but it's no less very interesting i can speak to christian judy j christian judy j who probably many of you know an academic and an occultist who has done many interesting uh, um, works already and he is now creating a new um, publishing house called Camaret Press and this early poems early poetic works to be precise by Alistair Crowley is the first uh, or the first book that has been released by this new um, publishing house Camaret Press and I will be speaking to Chris to Christian Judy J uh, about this book about the new venture that he has started why he does that what will be the aim and i think he has a lot of very interesting things to say about this okay that was chapter four now let's go backwards chapter three you will meet again with my friend ursula ursula cherini who has already presented several books on this show and today she has selected for us a book by Athenas Mason. I think many of you have heard the name Athenas Mason. Those who are interested also in the left-hand pass in female magic. And this book we hear about today is maybe one of the key works by Athenas Mason, Draconian Ritual Book. The Draconian movement is very central to Athenas' work and Ursula, who is always very invested and very deep into those books that she present here. She has a lot of things to say about that book, and I think you're going to enjoy that. Okay, backwards again to chapter two. Chapter two will be, as always, Greg's choice. Who does not know Greg Kaminsky, my good friend and colleague? And I am also have the pleasure to be with him as a co-host from time to time on his Occult of Personality show, one of the classics in the podcast world of the occult world as well. Okay, and the book that he presents to us today is Mistai. Mistai, which has been published about uh, half a year ago by Scarlet Imprint, and the author is Peter Mark Adams. It's already his second great work with Scarlet Imprint, Misty, and 
Um, if you want to know a little bit more after having listened to Greg and his presentation of that book, you can also go to Occult of Personality and listen to a extensive interview that Greg and I together did um, with Peter Mark Adams on that book, Mistai. So it's a review, it's a presentation, but it's also a bit of a teaser for that other interview on Occult of Personality. Okay, and right now in chapter one, I will present to you a new book that's coming out this week, actually, with Inner Traditions, which is called Hermetic Herbalism. It is one of those books uh, that is has been published a hundred years back ago. It's now the first time in English language. You'll learn more about it in just a few seconds, because now we kick it off and we start with chapter one. Enjoy the show. Chapter 1 Inner Traditions has from time to time among their new and very often very interesting books they produce also either first English language editions or complete reprints of forgotten classics of esoteric, occult and hermetic books. We have, for example, recently seen The Hermetic Science of Transformation by Giuliano Kremertz, which I spoke about in our January Ex Libris edition as a largely overdue first English edition. Or we had that wonderful reprint of Kurt Seligman's Mirror of Magic in October 2018, to name just two examples. Now, this month, there is a small book that comes out from Inner Traditions called Hermetic Herbalism by Jean Maverick. Well, who is Jean Maverick, you are going to ask, and rightly so, because we all don't really know who he was. That name is most definitely an Elias, and all we know about Jean Maverick is that he was an important member of alchemical and occult circles in Paris in the early 20th century. He was probably a member of the École Hermétique, the Hermetic School of Papus, which offered courses on esoteric and occult subjects, and Jean Maverick was a teacher there, and he was also a member of the French Alchemical Society at the time. Under this pen name and two other pen names, Jean Petit was one of them, he wrote about 10 books on astrology, alchemy and different other occult subjects. And some of them are still available in French for those of you who read that language. It's always worth looking into them. They are really interesting. Maybe the most exotic of those books is called, it's a long title which I translate for you from the original French, about the search for people who have disappeared, children and animals. Objects that have been stolen to find the place where they are. Long title for a paranormal, paranormal subject. Well, and it's a rather rare thing in the work list of classical authors on hermetism at the time to speak about those phenomena as well. So Jean Maverick was certainly a very interesting and open-minded person. But back to our book, Hermetic Herbalism. Its original French title was, again translated, 
Hermetic Medicine of Plants or the Extraction of Quintessences by the Art of Spagorism. Well, by the use of those words, quintessence and all of that, you already see the strong hermetic influence in that book. The original French version appeared in 1911, over 100 years ago. Okay, you could say since then many new books on spagyrics and plant medicine have appeared, especially in the last 20 years. That's almost become a little trend among practical occultists and practical alchemists in particular. So what is so special about Jean Maverick's book? Well, I believe several things. First of all, the fact that it comes out of the French tradition and is now available finally in English. Practical alchemy has over the last hundreds of years always been something where the French have been particularly interested, have developed their own schools and style, and they're also particularly good at it, I think. And this is true actually until today. Also, let's not forget Jean Dubuis and his philosophe de la nature, nature's philosophers, where alchemy and spagyrics played an important role in their movement in the second half of the 20th century. And we could name many more examples. So Maverick represents an important branch of this tradition, and it is important to take that into account if you want to have a good overview on the question. But it is also remarkable to what extent Maverick combines the subject of chemistry, spagyrics, etc. with the hermetic arts, its background. This book has only about 250 pages, but in it you find a wealth of information and those links between the different subjects. Probably not all new for some of you, of course, but many things are put under new light. Well, at least they have been for me. And I'm rather sure I won't be the only one. Just take a few examples for names of chapters. For example, one is called Theory of Astral Medicine in Light of the Four Humoral Temperaments. Or another one, Mechanical Theory of Astral Vibrations. Those are types of subjects you do not always and normally find in that kind of book. I was not aware personally of the existence of Jean Maverick before I received a copy of this new English edition Hermetic Herbalism. So the first read I had of this text was in English. But I do read French, it's almost a second language next to my native German for me. So I bought the French original as well and read a few chapters to compare and I must say that this English edition is exactly what I expect from a good translation. In fact, it is more than just a translation. Maverick has in his French original, for example, the habit of constantly referring to other books of himself. Probably his readers then were very much aware of his other books and his teachings in the formerly mentioned study group. So that was not a problem for them. But if today you had just translated word by word, you still would have a very interesting and inspiring book, but you would miss a lot. So instead, R. Bailey, who is given as the translator of this book into English, has done much more than that. When Maverick cites himself, Bailey gives us references, let us know 
what Maverick means. Maverick was in the original also, as many of the French at the time, very lazy about citing his historical references, ranging through 500 years back in history. Bailey has corrected that by annotating the text with references. And then, of course, Maverick uses a lot of French common names for plants, etc., instead of the scientific ones. And sometimes he uses even several common names, different ones for one and single plant. So the translator has simplified the matter by always using one single English common name per species. And in order to help us with the comprehension and hopefully to make good use of it, this first English edition contains also two plant indices for the 618, yes, 618 plants that Maverick mentions. So they're all in two indices at the end of the book. And this is all not only a nice addition to the book, but it really makes it now, 100 years after it appeared, usable and highly interesting for the reader and for those among you who would also like to use this book for practical work. So praise for this book goes to three addressees. First and foremost, of course, to the author, Jean Maverick, or whoever he was by his real name. He has probably been a doctor himself. By the way, he criticizes the medical field of his time. You can see that. He often also cites other doctors who are also known today as homeopath and open-minded to natural medicine. This is another hint. But he remains a mystery, which incited the translator in his foreword to call Maverick the Fulcanelli of modern herbalism. Yeah, and that's quite true. We don't know who he was, Mr. Maverick, but his book certainly was groundbreaking in its day. And it is those groundbreaking texts that remain important for us nowadays, and not only as historical textbooks, but as a practical advice and a handbook for our and your contemporary work. Therefore, second praise goes to Inner Traditions, who took up to publish this book and add it to a series of important texts from the past that should be known by real practitioners. Let's hope they will continue on that path and bring awareness of important books in different languages also to the large English-speaking and therefore also international esoteric community. Third praise, last but certainly not least, goes to R. Bailey. Sorry, I can't tell you more about him or her, but that person remains mysterious in the book notes, a little bit like the author himself. But he or she is the wonderful translator who went much further than just doing a translation. I explained why, but without ever altering the original work or putting himself into foreground. But he added a perfect new layer to Maverick's work. So, if you are interested in hermetism, in alchemy, in spagyrics, or in plant medicine, or just in good occult books in general, this book is for all of you. Hermetic Herbalism by Jean Maverick, translated by R. Bailey, a brand new publication by Inner Traditions. 
it is worth it. Chapter 2 Greg's Choice Greg Kaminsky of A Cult of Personality Podcast and ChamberofReflection.com with Greg's Choice. Before we get to the book review, I just want to say a few words. After about a month in quarantine, I'm feeling a bit stir-crazy. And I have to say, I think that... Uh, a daily routine, meditation practice, exercise, and yard work have been the only things <laughs> that have been um, keeping me sane. Um, that and my loving family, of course. But I would encourage all of you to engage in those activities which bring you joy and promote good health during this time because we need it. So, on to the book review. Today I'm talking about Mystai, Dancing Out the Mysteries of Dionysus by Peter Mark Adams and published by Scarlet Imprint. Well, what can I say? Uh, Peter Mark Adams has done it again. Um, just like his prior book, The Game of Saturn, Mystai is a feast for the eyes, the mind, and the senses. Um, it's a beautifully designed book. The colors, the materials, the printing, the fonts, the imagery, and of course the content itself is tremendously enjoyable and extremely enlightening. Um, prior to reading the book and looking at the imagery and certainly talking with Peter, I really had no idea exactly what was involved in these Dionysian mysteries. Um, I mean, I've read speculation over the years, but to see the book and to read his analysis of the imagery and its meaning and how this would have been utilized in a ritual context. Well, what can I say? I feel like Peter Mark Adams has given us a university level, a graduate university level course in the ancient Greek mysteries, at least that were celebrated in this specific time and place, Pompeii during the Roman Empire. 
Um, so there's certain unique qualities, but the information that he brings forth, I feel is applicable in other contexts as well. I think, and I've mentioned this in other places, but Peter Mark Adams has really very quickly become one of my favorite authors in this genre. Uh, his work is extremely unique and insightful. He has a way of revealing historical mysteries that to my mind, no one else prior has really elucidated. And it's a really a tremendous service for the esoteric community now, because as I am want to point out, we don't have, for the most part, truly extant living traditions that stretch back to antiquity. They're informed by those earlier traditions, certainly. But the chain is not unbroken. The lineage is not continuous. So for Peter Mark Adams to bring out this book and explain how this mystery cult functioned, what it did, what it venerated, how it did so. These are all questions that really are at the heart of what we do and what we are as esoteric practitioners. And to have a connection with the past that's informed by scholarship, research, and and some and what I would call practical esoteric work, uh, this is invaluable. And it certainly it doesn't allow for uh, the uniting of broken links of a lineage, but it it does allow for us to have some insight into the past and what that means, it can inform us now and going forward. Uh, we may learn techniques and methods that were pr previously undiscovered or unexplored that might be useful. We can uncover historical information and the use of art and imagery in a sacred context that would enhance the already rich artistic tradition within Western esotericism. And I think, if nothing else, Mystai as a text allows us to understand that theurgy or what might be more aptly called deity yoga, the divine mystical union, is something that can be practiced and it's something that can be accomplished. 
And I'd like to leave you with that. And I hope that it might spark curiosity and interest so that you read Misty and so that you explore these questions further in your own life and practice. Chapter 3 Okay, friends and listeners, now we have moved again to the lovely city of Salzburg. Um, not so far away from Vienna, for those who know a little bit the place, but um, we meet again there with somebody you have all already met on the South Hermes podcast with Ursula Czerny. Ursula, good evening. Hello, how are you today? Hi, good evening. Fine, thanks. Great. No coronavirus yet. <laughs> okay, good. Stay like that. That's perfect. Thanks. <laughs> um, well, today, maybe we have even, you can even talk about some means not to get the coronavirus. Now, let's be serious. Um, you're going uh, to present to us another book, as you have done uh, in earlier editions of Ex Libris here on the South Hermes podcast. Yeah. And uh, so today you are talking about a very special personality who has written several books and um, we are talking or you are going to talk to us about Asenath Mason. Maybe before you're going to talk about that particular book that you present to us today, maybe for those who don't know Asenath um, or know who she is, maybe you can just, just briefly tell us a little bit about her and, and what current she represents and where she comes from, etc. Sure, sure. Well, <clears throat> Asenath Mason um, has been a, a practitioner of the so-called draconian current um, for over 15 years. Mm -hmm. And she's written quite a few books on, on this topic. And um, she uses the term draconian, typhonian tradition interchangeably. So there's also some reference to Kenneth Grant's works. Mm -hmm. If some, some are familiar, I guess, with that. Sure, with I'm sure they are, yeah. And, um, well, she, um, in 2013, she founded uh, a temple of the Ascending Flame, And she works with this draconian current in teachings, in workshops. Um, she tries to build basically a circle of practitioners who take this uh, work seriously. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, well, I came across one of her books, um, I think, two years ago. And this is, um, this is also the book I, I'd like to present today because it's a bit unusual, maybe. So maybe bit out of, of the line and interesting. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great. And, and the book is called the Draconian Ritual uh, book, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Draconian <laughs> Ritual book. And uh, well, um, for me personally, it, it changed quite a few things. Let's put it this okay. way. Okay. <laughs> okay. And is, before you talk more about this, is this about a similar draconian movement, like for example, Thomas Carlson's, or is it very different? Is it very particular for Asenath? 
Um, I don't think it's it's very different. It's maybe different in um, how in the approach, but mm-hmm. it might not be different um, concerning the basic underlying principles. Right. But you, you'd have to you'd probably have to compare both systems. Um, on, on a full large scale. So it's difficult to answer because, of course, some, some parts are probably um, referenced to each other and some are not. Yeah, so maybe yeah. You should do, we should do that one day to, to, to compare yeah, those systems. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But today it's to Azimuth. And so that book, um, wh- when did you come across it, you said yourself? I, I, think, mean, I think two years ago, if, if I'm not mm-hmm. completely wrong about this. Yes. And what was it that really jumped at you why did you think it was uh, <laughs> so changing for you and um well actually um it's because it was because not many women have written um books on the so-called left-hand path mm-hmm. and this is i mean left and right-hand path are for me not that um, like not that a difference actually so mm-hmm. for me magic is magic and it's an energy and um, but anyway, I was drawn to her work. So maybe because just she's a woman, and mm-hmm. I find it highly interesting to see magic, um, to experience magic from a woman's standpoint of view. So this this was the first thing that um, made me read this book. But actually, the most fascinating aspect and why I definitely would file it under one of my favorites is that essentially it presents a series of building blocks for a system that is broken down to its bare bones. So she, uh, she, accomplish, she accomplishes to show that magic is energy, no matter whether you have a green socket, a purple one, a black or lily white one, or what device you plug into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always the same, same basic universal energy behind it. And this is an approach I appreciate a lot. So um, she, her approach is kind of um, a very logical and um, disciplined one. So the first and most important requirement is learning how to handle really big amounts of energy, how to prepare for them and how to direct them. And this is not um, totally different from other systems that are so-called right-hand paths. Right. So for me personally, this is, this is the area where differences kind of vanish, basically, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're talking about the same stuff, just in different dressings. Right. And different points of view also, probably, right? Exactly. Exactly. So um, it might be that not all um, practitioners might like this, but she stresses the importance of discipline, hard work and persistence. And it's also something that is very similar to other magicians who are doing dedicated, serious work and not only dabbling around, basically. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is um, this was very fascinating for me or, or very reassuring, actually. A few words to, to her specific outer dressings, if I may call it this way. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, the term draconian is used in the sense um, of Typhonian as well. And she, um, she understands it as, as a raw, primal, universal force behind the visible universe. So you can tap into this energy, into this current. And therefore, this current enables you to do some initiatory work and your personal evolution on a scale. 
she distinguishes between the so-called inner and the outer dragon, the dragon force, let's call it this way. Mm. Um, the inner one is basically um, a set of abilities that you don't acquire new, but you rediscover them in yourself. This is one part of, of the system. And she draws also a lot of um, connections to Kundalini force from the Eastern traditions, which she um, calls the dragon force within. So mm -hmm. it's, it's also a thing of labeling things differently to put together a coherent system on its own. Right. But you can recognize the concepts um, through different traditions, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you think, or does she think, or do you think that uh, everyone has that dragon, that inner dragon in him or, him or herself? Or is that something that you have to be particular or work it out? Or what is it? No, I, I think for me, for me, it sounds like everyone, like she, she thinks that everyone has this force, this ability, okay. this power. But um it is through subsequent um, work and discipline and doing meditation exercises, grounding exercises, cleansing exercises, all the basic stuff, essentially. Um, this is the way how you discover it, how you learn to work with it. <laughs> so it's nothing from nothing that is outside of us, but it, it is a force within us. So kind of inner alchemy, actually. And of course, um, apart from this inner side, you do have an outer side, like the outer cosmic force or certain aspects of a, an outer cosmic force. You also have this in different traditions as well. So mm -hmm. this is nothing new. Um, and the, the idea is to connect this outer force with this inner force. And if you achieve this, then you have a basic um, alchemical process with which you can um, you can alter your life according to your intent, basically. Right. When you say you are especially um, attracted by this type of magic because she, she's a woman, you're a woman, um, is it because this is a typical woman force that she describes, a female no. force, or is it because no. it's a female approach? No, it's probably because it's the female approach. It is not a female force because she mm -hmm. works in a very balanced way. So she always tries to stress how um, feminine and masculine forces, if you if you can call them this way anyway, right. um, come together, forming a balance, forming harmony, what you need for that, with, with which exercises you achieve this. Um, but um, I think... I think... Um, one one point that might be unusual in her working or maybe inconvenient or considered as a transgression is that she also mentions topics which um, might be sound might sound a bit appalling at first, like mm -hmm. um, the use of sexual energy or the use of um, one's own blood in right. little amounts or menstrual blood. Mm -hmm. So these are things that. Um, some magicians or practitioners are certainly not okay with it. Mm. But um, if, you, if you think about how, um, how the history of the use of blood or sexual fluids um, goes through magic and interweaves, inter, interweaves with magic and 
like um, if you think of ritual as like the transubstantiation in Christianity, this is mm. nothing different for me personally than a blood sacrifice. So right. I I do like her approach to to speak about things that more or less quite a few have questions on, and she does it in a very respectful and um, how do I say it best um, and um, coherent way. She always stresses mm -hmm. the topic of consent, the topic of um, common sense to be um, to be considerate of others and of oneself, of course, physically and mentally. But she also um, emphasizes the necessity to trans to to tra of, of transgression sometimes, which is needed for um, for magic in the first place, because. If you keep moving, moving within your own comfort zone and never break out, then you're not a magician. Sure, that that's true. That's that's true in many fields, and, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who do you? Who would you think this book and her work in general is aimed at? Who would you recommend it for? Hmm. Um, to be honest. I would probably recommend it to not not quite a, a very um, a bit, not not to the total beginner. Mm -hmm. Maybe for a bit, maybe a bit of advanced work is necessary. But if you if you're um, if you are able to see through the dressing and see the building blocks and recognize them. And if you love individuality, because she stresses, she emphasizes individual work a lot. Like she gives you structure as much as it's needed, but um, she gives you also the freedom. She encourages the readers to um, to create own building blocks, to create own ritual patterns, mm -hmm. to be creative in in the best sense of the word. And therefore, I would I would recommend it to people who like. Um, this this um, space for, who have a need of space of creativity in magic, who don't mm -hmm. like to follow the the old grimoires to the letter, because right. the approach is is very different. You don't command around. You don't um, like with evocation. You don't command around. You don't threaten. You don't mm -hmm. try to banish things. Yeah, so it's not at all a ceremonial magic. No, approach. no. no. Mm. She has ceremonial parts of it, but um, so like basic patterns of, of uh, invoking and evoking and elemental work, etc. But it, it's not this um, this work like I'm the creator of everything and you have to obey me. Mm. So mm -hmm. this is not the point. If you like creativity and if you like bending the rules, If you have a more chaotic approach, then I would say it's it's a wonderful um, basic system for itself, or you can combine it with other systems, I think. Right. Yeah. So, yes, that that sounds a little bit, as you say, it sounds for not maybe the seasoned magician, but for somebody who has already a little bit an idea of where they want to go, right? Mm -hmm. A bit, maybe. And of course, yeah. you have to be fine with, I don't know, invoking Lilith, for example, or Lucifer. Yeah. So you don't have uh, the archangels, of course, but you work more with the Nightside Tree of Life. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you have to be, if, if you're okay with that, then it's a very mm -hmm. nice book to work with. Okay, great. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. That was the draconian ritual book by Athanas Mason that Ursula presented to us today. Thank you for that. And um, well, I wish you a nice time until we meet the next time here on Thoth Hermes. And, uh, and it might be the next Ex Libris or maybe even, that, even before that, because we have a, an idea about something that we will speak about when the time <laughs> has come. Right. Thank you. Well, have a nice rest of the evening and Thank speak you. to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Chapter 4. And now we have here in front of the microphone of the Thought Hermes podcast, Chris Chudice, who is speaking from London to us from a very secluded London those days as whole of Europe. Hello, uh, Chris. Nice to have you with us. Hi, Rudolf. Super quarantined as everyone else is. Uh, nice to nice to be back. Nice to talk to you again. Absolutely. Great to have you again. And we have a good reason to talk again today. It's always a good reason to talk to you, but there's a special reason today. You have created a new, a new publishing house, I think you, would, you should call that, um, yep. uh, by the name of Camoret Press, right? Yep, yep. Um, maybe before we go uh, into the book that you have, has it... Uh, that was the first release of that new venture. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you just tell us why you wanted to create that publishing house and what's the aim of it and what's all behind that. Yeah. Um, well, the aim behind it is basically, um, I think it's the same reason why a lot, a lot of people start their own publishing presses, the publishing houses, uh, which is to see, Uh, books that they would like to read or that they would like to have mm -hmm. had available, you know. Uh, right, I've heard uh, that before. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of how you realize that there is uh, that there is a niche, you know, that mm -hmm. hasn't been isn't being fulfilled, you know. And uh, it's, um, I mean, I, I love the work that some of the contemporary occult. Uh, presses are doing, but um, what I always wanted to focus on, and what I also focus on um, in my academic work, is uh, the fin de siècle. So you know, the, the last twenty years of the nineteenth century right. and the first twenty years of the twentieth century, more or less. Um, and um, so, I wanted to create uh, a very small publishing house because it's it's a, it's a one man publishing house. It's it's basically just me. Uh, taking care of uh, of, uh, of the typesetting of the publications of, uh, of everything really mm -hmm. um, I wanted to create something that um, could uh, make available some works that um, nowadays uh, you would have to pay uh, hundreds of uh, euros to uh, to get your hands on mm -hmm. uh, and also make available to an English public uh, works which have never been translated before. Um, maybe works in French, works in Italian, uh, which are going to come out. 
um, which um, the English-speaking audience has never had a chance to uh, to read. So if you don't have if you don't have French or if you don't have Italian, for example, you're you're at a big disadvantage. And you know that really kind of um, it, that that's something that is that is trying to overcome uh, the usual kind of. Uh, the usual suspects being read of that period, you know, for example, in France, you have, you have, you know, Papouche and, and other people like that who have been translated Mm. and, uh, or, or in England, you have people like Waits who have been uh, published and are continuously republished. So Mm -hmm. you have, you have this kind of like big authors uh, that are still readily available. But for example, uh, you have very little of uh, a giant of French fin de siècle occultism like Peladon. You yes. know, you, you have very, very little in English. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so at the moment, um, at the moment, Cameret is working on uh, a translation of his uh, of his first novel, uh, The Supreme Vice, Le Vie Supreme. So that's kind of just mm-hmm. to give you an idea what Cameret is all about. It's not only... Uh, occultism per se it also focuses on the decadent element of uh, of that of that period of the last uh, let's say 30 years of the 19th century you know right and and the name Camoret is that something that comes from Parsifal legend or am I wrong well yeah it's yeah, uh, yeah, Parsifal's, yeah. Parsifal's father and exactly. uh, uh, yeah I mean that's that's just uh when uh, when I was I was reading um, a work by um, Frate Akkad mm-hmm. uh, called Parsifal, you know, a Kabbalistic yes. interpretation of uh, of the myth of Parsifal, and yeah. uh, mm, I kind of kept coming uh, across this this name, and I did some research, and uh, uh, he is uh, he is a kind of uh, very very. Uh, devilish figure in the mm-hmm. cameras really kind of uh in in the things that he did uh according to according to legend he very much resembles you know the the heroes of a lot of the uh, a lot of the decadence you know it resembles people like burton and you know these these larger than life people who travel sure, to yeah. the far east and have these amazing adventures and uh, you know then they come back to the west with you know uh uh with with this received knowledge and uh, and kind of bring back something you know from from the east so um so when i was thinking of a name you know to to that kind of could uh, reunite these two these two elements i thought i think cam i thought about camera and it sounded good and uh, uh so that that was that yeah well it's, it's a little bit like my company that runs this show which actually nobody knows about the name is not important but it's called Kaikobad uh, the company which is one mysterious king of the Persian ancient pre-Saratustrian empire which who never appears is always as a legend there so yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. Same, exactly. same idea background exactly. same idea exactly exactly yeah, yeah. exactly so let's go now to the to the very first publication of your of your of your new venture here and i hold it in hand and it's a very nice 250 pages but rather heavy for the number of pages even and because it's a nice paper it's it has also some very interesting images in it and it's the early poetic works by 
somebody I think people know, don't they? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I'm, I mean, we, we, can, we can talk about him a bit. I'm not sure if they know about him that much. But, uh. <laughs> so it's Alice Crowley's early poetic words. And, um, well, tell us about your choice. What, what, what made you, of course, people know that uh, Alice Crowley was a, was a poet, uh, wrote poetry at a very early stage uh, yes and yeah, later stages of his life but um i think those are poems which are not so well known and well you tell us more about that yeah um well it all started very very um long ago about 10 years ago, more or less, um, I started to get into, oh, it was more than 10 years. It was, it was a thread that started on, 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 uh, Paul Feezy's, um, lashtel.com forums. I don't know if you remember those, mm -hmm. but for someone who was, uh, a solitary practitioner as I was back in the day, yeah. um, going on those forums and kind of exchanging, um, ideas and opinions with like-minded people. More than 15 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, there were quite a few people and, and Paul was one of them and who actually held Crowley's poetry in, in, in esteem. Um, cause there's, there's actually kind of, Uh, this kind of the common idea is, oh, Alistair Crowley was an amazing magician, but he was a mediocre poet. And um, actually, this is something that is being challenged, not only by me, but by other people. He's he's being included uh, more often uh, now in the list of decadent poets of the of the 1890s, the naughty 90s, they call mm -hmm. them. Uh, so he is recognized as 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 one of the British uh, decadents, uh, albeit one of the minor minor decadents. I mean, uh, but I think that um, uh, the idea started back then in kind of trying to figure out, uh, okay, you know uh, how. This obviously didn't happen in a vacuum. How did this Alistair Crowley, the poet, start? And uh, how, what happened? Who was involved with the with the product, with the publication, with the production of uh, of these uh, limited uh, edition books, which uh, which Crowley kind of self published at first. Um, so it's really it really has been a kind of a labor of love for about. Yeah, 10 years more or less, mm. uh, working on um, working on getting hold of uh, correspondence between him and his uh, lover Jerome Pollitt, right. um, who was uh, a female impersonator that clearly had a very tempestuous homosexual relationship with uh, while at Cambridge University uh, in the years. Uh, where he wrote his first poetic works that that are kind of gathered in this volume. Um, so it's it's been ten years of kind of archival research and uh, trying to find uh, a mention of him in the works of uh, more famous key players of the decadent period, like um, like Smithers, who was his publisher, who also right. published uh, Oscar Wilde's uh, later uh, works. Uh, post-prison works, let's call them, let's call them. Yeah. And, uh, and Aubrey Beardsley, who was uh, a very good friend of, uh, of Pollitt. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, he had actually promised to, um, create a, a cover for Alistair Crowley's first work, 
but he died uh, when he was 25 before yeah. uh, before he actually had the chance to. But he was very good friends with Pollitt. So there is a very good chance that the two actually did meet, although there, there, there is no kind of uh, evidence for that. So it, it's kind of been uh, a, a very long and patient game of kind of trying to situate Crowley as a decadent uh, within uh, within the whole 1890s um, Yates, Yellow Book, Oscar Wilde, Aubrey Beardsley scene, if you know what I mean. Was it hard to find the, the, the text actually and the sources? Was that, or did they, was it more the work to collect them, to put them into context that was difficult? Yeah. Um, the, I mean, some stuff was hard to find uh, that like, You know, you, I read so many books on Smithers and I read so much correspondence by Smithers and to Smithers just in the hope that the Crowley name would appear, you know, mm -hmm. to, and, you know, so a lot of the time it was like frustrating going through manuscripts and manuscripts and manuscripts or, or collected letters and reading about everything. But, you know, Alistair Crowley and, yeah. and I would get to the end of the day after eight hours and think, Oh my God, you know, like did this actually really happen? Um, but I think, no, I think, I think the, 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 the kind of collecting everything at the end and making a coherent whole, that was actually quite enjoyable. That was, wasn't easy, but it was definitely more enjoyable once I had like everything there. And of course, right. when it comes to, when it comes to the Crowley material, um, everything, uh, everything's at the war book. So, yeah, um, yeah, sure. Sure. Thanks to thanks to DOTO, thanks to uh, Bill Breeze, uh, mm -hmm. I had access to that uh, mm -hmm. from from the very beginning, and actually he he very much encouraged me to um, to publish uh, this uh, this collected work. So so like a huge thank you goes to goes to him for kind of really making it uh, making it possible where mm -hmm. where the Crowley material is uh, is concerned. Right. I think uh, many of us, I think I may say, have been confronted with the fact of the existence of those early poetry, uh, poetic works um, by Richard Kaczynski, I think by his Pedro Rabo biography at the time, because he was the first in my memory who really talked about this at a bit uh, wider scale, right? And, but of course, this is a completely uh, another step because here suddenly you have got really deep poetry uh, collected together and commented and, and annotated, etc. And can we say that this um, collection that you present here is complete or is it a selection or how, of that of those years? What, what's, what is it in your opinion? Basically, it's... Uh All the poetic works uh, which are extant today, he he burnt a lot of his uh, previous poetry. Mm -hmm. So um, all the poetry that has been uh, published in this volume was uh, published for the first time in 1898 mm -hmm. in four different volumes. So you have uh, Asil Dharma and you have Jezebel and you have uh, The Tale of Arcase and uh, Song of Spirits right. uh, published as four kind of small pamphlets of poetry self-published mm -hmm. uh, self by, uh, by Crowley and uh, that all, they were all published in uh, 1898 which was last year Crowley spent at Cambridge mm -hmm. so um, the choice of which works to publish was quite easy um, Uh, they were the ones which kind of had uh, this kind of 
Cambridge influence and the influence of his relationship with Pollitt uh, could be seen uh, could be seen well uh, in the verses and in the choice of themes and everything. And if you don't have um, a knowledge of what actually was going on during those years in Crowley's life, I mean, he he wrote these when he was twenty one, so it's sure. kind of you know we must remember that he. You know, he was barely a kid. You know, he was an undergraduate at That's Cambridge. People have that romantic face. Usually. Exactly, and people yeah, have yeah, that romantic yeah. face. And he he had, you know, he had he had a decadent face because that's what was all the rage, you know, back then. And of course he, he fell in love with Swinburne who was kind of like, you know, the precursor to all this, uh, to all, to all the decadent stuff. And there's, yeah. uh, in the introduction, which is quite meaty, which is quite lengthy. Uh, there's, there's about 50 pages of introduction. If I'm not mistaken, I, I tried to, right, yes. I, I tried to find, uh, similarities between, Uh, some verses in Swinburne and some verses in Crowley to show kind of where uh, Swinburne might have influenced the the young the young Crowley. And um, I urge people really not to do what you usually do when you get a poetry collection and to uh, to to jump over the introduction because I think it's, uh, a, uh, yeah. it's, it's excellent and secondly I think it's really it's important especially in that case because of course it shows the book shows us all together. Like a, a completely different Crowley from what usual OTO uh, telephilic adepts would at first know about him. And this is a complete... Thank, <laughs> Thank God. It means, it, means that I've succeeded. That. it means that I've succeeded in my, uh, in my aim. I mean, there's, yeah. uh, uh, there's enough, uh, there's enough publishing houses, you know, re keeping uh, the works of Crowley published and with uh, very uh, serious uh, uh, scholars uh, and practitioners writing introduction or annotating these works. Um, my idea was to actually join uh two great loves of mine which is decadent literature decadent poetry and alistair crowley who is mm. uh who, who's a, a very very uh big academic interest of mine and i tried to kind of join these two Uh, together in 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 Crowley's in Crowley's decadent phase, which we can kind of uh, circumscribe more or less to um, to the year between the year he joined Cambridge in 1895 and the year he uh, joined the Golden Dawn in 1898, and he left right. he left Cambridge. So uh, it's really it really has very little to do with um, practical magic, but you also have the young Crowley reading the first books on magic. Mm -hmm. And being influenced by these first books, you know, weight, uh, weight books on, uh, on Pax, uh, yeah. and, yeah. uh, yeah. von Eckartshausen book, uh, on the clouds upon sanctuary and all these books, uh, these were read in his last year at Cambridge when he was, uh, in this relationship with Pollitt and right, yeah. This was when Crowley really decided, you know, I'm going to focus my life on magic and only magic. And, you know, at one point, Paul actually said to him, you know, you've got to decide it's got to, it's got to be magic or me. And Crowley's like, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but you know, it, it's, it's going to be magic. So it's, it's, uh, I think it's a really important, uh, period of his life, a very, very formative period of his life, uh, which, uh, once understood, uh, under, under the lens of, of decadentism really kind of gives us an idea as to what Crowley did and why Crowley did in, in later years as well.
Yeah. Uh, well, we talk about early poetic works here. Is there in your in your future plans anything about his later poetic works, or is that something that's um, not so important for you? No, no. I, I think that uh, I think that there is um, there is poetry uh, by Crowley that can be and should be salvaged. Uh, not all of it is good. I mm. think these first four works are very good. Uh, especially for a 21-year-old. Um, and I think that later works, uh, uh, Tannhäuser, The Soul of Osiris, the, the, right. there are works which deserve to be uh, to be preserved and maybe uh, something that has um, kept people away from Crowley's poetry is uh, Crowley's uh, knowledge of Latin and Greek mythology and his his use of mythology in the poetry, uh, which kind of makes it hard for for people who are not well versed in in, in Latin and Greek uh, culture to, to follow what he's actually saying. But uh, they have been uh, these works act, have actually been heavily annotated, and I think there's about yeah fifty pages of notes that explain uh, exactly who the people that he mentions are and what is going on and who, who he's referring to. So it kind of really kind of puts them into uh, into perspective, and I think there's more to be done. Uh, not quite yet, because uh, I've been kind of working on this project for way too long. So now it's time to focus on something else. But um, but there is in the future, yeah. definitely, definitely. Well, that's my final question. Uh, uh, you just cued it. Um, Camerad Press, um, what's the next project with your new publishing house? So, uh, the next project, uh, that is, uh, that is, that I have a date for and that's actually going to happen and that I'm working on as we speak is, um, the publication of the sort of song, uh, by Crowley with a introduction and notes by Richard Kaczynski. And, um, it's a really interesting book. It's, uh, um, it, it, it's basically Crowley trying to explain Buddhism to the Western reader. And, uh, I think, I think Richard's introduction and his notes make it, uh, really, uh, make it really, uh, easier to appreciate the amount and depth of, uh, knowledge that Crowley has on the subject and also Crowley's sense of humor, which is not something that <laughs> is, uh, so easily picked upon by yeah. uh, people who maybe don't really kind of uh, get that um, kind of British, uh, very kind of sharp and dry sense sense of humour. Or who maybe have a too strong sense of veneration. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, we're, we're definitely uh, not working on ramping that up uh, yeah. with cameras. We're actually trying to present the works in uh, as uh, an academic uh, way as possible and leave yeah. and leave the reader to do uh, to do the veneration and and the worship where necessary um, so at the moment um, before all uh, all these uh, turbulent times kind of hit us uh, I, I'm, I was actually working on this so I'm going to carry on working on it and it will uh, see a fruition. Uh, in um, 2020, uh, later later on in 2020, I think September would be uh, 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 would be a reasonable uh, date. Um, 
also, uh, at the same time, we're working on uh, the translation of Peladan's Supreme Vice, and that's going to be published in 2021. And uh, that is uh, going to be introduced by uh, Sasha Chaito, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Sasha Chaito, who is, uh, I guess, the world expert uh, on Peladan. So, um, really, uh, I couldn't have found a, a better person to 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 introduce uh, to introduce Peladan and his um, Peladan as a as a novel as an author of novels, of esoteric yeah. novels, uh, to, to an English speaking audience. And, uh, I think, I think these, these two works really kind of encapsulate, well, these three works, if you put in the early poetic works as well, really encapsulate, uh, what Camaret is, uh, is all about. It's kind of making available literary texts, uh, which uh, someone interested in decadentism or interested in in occultism will be able to appreciate, and uh, uh, and texts which uh, you cannot find elsewhere, and that are um, that you would really kind of have to go out of your way and and pay a lot of money to get your hands on and to read. Uh, that's what I'm aiming for with, with cameras to make them more readily available and to make kind of, uh, minor poets within quotation marks, uh, minor poets and minor authors, uh, more available to, to an English speaking readership. That sounds like a great plan. Well, thank you for it. Thank you for telling us a bit uh, about it. And thank you for your, your expertise as always. By the way, Richard Kuczynski, who you mentioned, who I mentioned, he'll be on this show in two weeks. So Fantastic. And, uh, that, Fantastic. That'll be the next step to do. Um, great. Well, thank you, um, Chris. That was great to have you back here. Thank um, you so much for having me, Rudolf. And hope it'll be again some other time with all the projects that you do. Thank you for all this. And well, speak soon. Uh, speak soon. It was great to be here. Thanks. Thank you, Chris, for this nice talk about that new venture, Camaret Press, and especially about the early poetic works of Alistair Crowley. I have to correct one thing that I said in the very end of this interview. I said that in two weeks, Richard Kaczynski will be on this show. No, guys, it will be next week already, because when I recorded that interview, I still thought it would be in two weeks only. But now, Richard Richard Kaczynski is our guest, our very special guest on next week's show on episode 17, coming to you on April the 26th. So do not miss that. Um, Come back to hear the show, the episode 17 again. Which books were the ones that we presented to you today? We started it off with Hermetic Herbalism by... Jean Maverick and presented by Inner Traditions, a very exciting book, I must say. Chapter two brought Greg's choice, and that was a presentation of Peter Mark Adams' new book, Mistai, published by Scarlet Imprint. In chapter three, we heard Ursula, Ursula Cherini, who presented to us the Draconian Ritual book by Athanas Mason. And uh, in chapter four, finally, as we just said, Chris Judice was my guest for a talk on his new venture, the new publishing house Camaret Press, and the first book that was published there, The Early Poetic Work by Alistair Crowley. Right, I think that's it for today. 
I really thank you for having been with me again today. Um, it was a pleasure to have you here and I sincerely hope that you will come back next week. As I said, maybe use the opportunity of our anniversary to become a patron and come back in any case, if you're a patron or not, just come back next week and listen to Richard Kaczynski and what he has to say and what we discussed in our lengthy interview there. For today, this is the end of the Sos Hermes podcast of this episode number 16, our Ex Libris April 20 show. And I can only say, take care, stay tuned. Hear you soon.